Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Lead Podcast. We are honored to be a part of your leadership journey and look forward to helping you realize your potential as a leader to create positive change. Now get out there and lead. Welcome to another Texas Lead Podcast. My name is Mark Pereira. I'm one of the assistant directors here in the office. And I am joined today with Rachel Cohen Ford, one of the other assistant directors here. Rachel, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, I am so excited to be here with you today, Mark. Uh, my name is Rachel Cohen Ford, as Mark said. Uh, I am an assistant director here with Texas Leadership Education and Development, and I run our Coach UT and our summer internship programs. Wonderful. Like I said, it's always a privilege to have you with me. Uh, so I'm very excited for our conversation today. Today, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome and what that means to us individually and also what that means for our own leadership journeys as we've traveled through our experiences and what our listeners might be able to learn from those experiences. So I guess we should start with what is imposter syndrome first and foremost? When I think of imposter syndrome, some of the things that come to mind immediately are going to be some of the more obvious ones, you know, doubting yourself, doubting your capabilities, asking yourself, how did I get here? And just not generally having that sense of confidence with any challenge that you are facing or anything new that pumps up in front of you. I think this is something that affects people on a lot of different levels, but even more than that, it affects them in a lot of different ways. And that's something that's oftentimes missing from the conversation, I feel like anyways. But one thing we should always be asking ourselves as well is why do we feel like an imposter? And this is especially important at a place like UT Austin. We have so many phenomenal students. We have so many phenomenal staff and faculty who, if we're being honest, are at the top of their game, at the top of their fields. So when you come in and realize that you feel a little bit shaky, you don't feel like you stack up against everyone else, that can hit you in a very real way. Rachel, have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome on this campus or even outside this campus as well? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, absolutely to both. I think the way that I always experience it, which not always, but the most common for me is feeling like just out of random luck. I am mm. the person, it's why I'm here, right? Like they, they just didn't really know, you know, who they were hiring or, you know, who they were voting for when I was a student as like a, an org president or something like that. I always kind of had that feeling of, oh, wow, like, I got really lucky and it wasn't my skills or my talent that got me there, but instead this random chance or this secret that they're going to find out, you know, one day that I'm not as good as people think I am. Unfortunately, I've experienced it several times. I think it's really common for folks who hold marginalized identities too. And I think one of the questions you were asking about, why do we feel like imposters sometimes? Yeah. Absolutely an intrinsic feeling. I also think exclusionary environments kind of create that feeling in folks too, and can kind of cause imposter syndrome in people when they are othered or when they don't necessarily see other people succeeding that look like them or, you know, that have similar identities. So as a woman going through some of the the spaces I was in as a student, it was definitely hard for me to feel like I belonged when I saw no one else like me in positions of power. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that you brought up that is really important, though, is that mention of exclusionary environments. And you connected that really well in entering a space of realizing that nobody else really looks like you or nobody else holds your same identities. But I also want to take a moment to kind of define that a little bit for our listeners yeah. as well. So when you think of exclusionary environments, what does that mean to you? 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different ways that this shows up. I think one of the easiest examples is, let's say, a company where maybe someone who is just hired on is the only Black staff member. And every single hire up in this company is white. And so they don't see anybody that there's no movement up for people that look like them or for someone, you know, they don't see a successful position. So it's like, well, is this going to work out? Like, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with just hiring, but also in the spaces. So maybe people don't talk about their identities in that way, or, you know, if they're the only queer person in their office. It's kind of hard, you know, you have to hide that part of you. So you're working so much to be to fit in and to be like everybody else. And you can't work on the work you're trying to do to be successful and to move up or to be, you know, the best version of yourself in that space. Yeah, that's completely understandable. I think that gets to a really important point of the difference between diversity and inclusion. Yes. So with diversity, you know, it's how many identities do we have in the room? Do we have our queer person? Do we have (laughs) our Asian person? Do we have our veteran students or whatever the case may be. And there's a lot of different ways to think about that. But when you realize that you're the only one, sure, it may be a diverse room, but is it an inclusive room? Mm -hmm. Are you able to be your authentic self there? Right. So I think that helps explain what an exclusionary environment might be. It's a place where you're able to step in and be like, ooh, I don't feel that I can be my true authentic self here. And you need to mask something, whether that's, your identity, your disability, your sexuality, or try to conform your actions to that of the dominant people in the room. Mm -hmm. So I think that does a really good job of explaining that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Along with that, another thing that really kind of fosters this idea of being an imposter is when we fail something, Mm -hmm. especially when it's in a stressful situation. I like to think back on some of my own failures and reflect on them. What did I learn from them? How did I get into that situation? Was it my own doing that made me fail? Or was there something in my in my environment that kind of pushed me into that failure mindset? But I think one of the things that's important to know about failure is just because you fail doesn't mean you are a failure or you are an imposter. It just means you hit a rough patch. The important thing, though, is to learn from it. And that reflective activity, that mindfulness in looking at your own self and your own capabilities is a really good way at combating some of those feelings of being an imposter. So I guess we should think a little bit about some of our own failures in the past. And I'll be happy to start. Yeah. A lot of money, right? <laughs> Lord knows this is not going to be a single, the single failure in my life. I have a whole shopping list of them. Same. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people do, but not a lot of people acknowledge them. Yeah. So let's go ahead and acknowledge our own. And anyone that's listening, I would encourage you to think along as we kind of go through this. So when I think of one of the failures that I've faced in recent history, one of the easiest things that comes to mind is my experience in graduate school. My first semester in grad school was when I was simultaneously being a part-time student and a full-time employee. So I was managing a lot. And then also compound that with the fact that my partner was a full-time employee and was a part-time student at the same time. Well, So I was surrounded by school and academics 
all day long. Wake up in the morning, thought about school. Mid-afternoon, I'm <laughs> in the office. I'm thinking about work, which is school. And then in the evening, I go to night classes, which is more school. And then I have to go home and write. So it was school, 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 school. But I found out that my old approaches to academia did not fit in my current environment. And it was tough. And I learned that lesson in a very difficult way. I felt that I had eyes on me every time that I said something. I felt that I was being critiqued just for being in the room. And I always had the sense of, oof, graduate school is not the place for me. I should probably just finish out this semester and then leave. My writing was not getting the marks that I wanted. My responses in class were getting questions that made me feel very less than. And it was a hard experience. Luckily, I was able to find my way out of that, which we'll get to in a moment. But oof, it was a lesson. It was a lesson to be sure. Rachel, when you think of your own, well, when you think of a failure, <laughs> what's one that comes to mind for you? Yeah, I definitely, I thought of a few, but the one that really stood out to me was my first job out of college. I was an advisor for a student government at a college and I was brand new out of graduation. Some of my students were older than me, you know, that kind of thing where I'm yeah. very baby faced and just like didn't really know. I think I felt really insecure. This is definitely the year that I felt the most imposter syndrome where I didn't feel like I had the right to make decisions. I didn't feel like, you know, who am I to say this is the best advice for these students, all of that. But at the end of the year, there was a senior who, you know, through all of her classes and with graduation coming up and prepping for her future, let a lot of her student government responsibilities slide. We see it a lot. It's not abnormal, but the other folks in student government kind of went on a crusade. It was kind of a time where they wanted to vote to impeach her. And I had, you know, two of the students come to me to let me know that they were going to do this. And I felt pretty strongly that they shouldn't do it because it would essentially, you know, three weeks before graduation, not let her walk with the special student government cords and all of that that she had worked in for four years would just be really sad. And so, you know, I, I told them I felt that it was a little inappropriate and that they really shouldn't do this. But I think at the time I didn't feel enough agency or, you know, maybe wasn't strong enough in this wording, but they still did it anyway. And so I, I didn't really know what to do. I had talked to my supervisor about it, but because it had already happened, there wasn't much that I could do. And that student I know just had a really hard time after they did that. She just, it was really rough and it was very emotional and, and just kind of a time where I felt like I had failed an advisor of that group. I felt like I lost any sense of like my position as a staff member over this group or like with this group, really, I don't look at it like I was over them. That's not what I mean. But I just felt like I I didn't have the confidence or the skill to handle that well. Now it would have been completely different. I'm several years into my career and I, and I feel much more confident in my skills. But at the time, it was just really sad and upsetting to me that this student had to go through so much. And I felt like I wasn't able to help her in that time. So unfortunately, you know, I didn't really have a happy ending, but I learned a lot from that experience about speaking up and how to do it well quickly. Um, I think that was part of the issue. And, and since then, I've definitely learned how to do that more effectively. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point there, learning how to do things more effectively. Yeah. And that kind of segues us directly into the next thing that I wanted to talk about is how did we, you and I, 
combat our feelings of being an imposter? How did we acknowledge that within ourselves? And then finally get the agency, as you said, or get the confidence to move past that or to take those bigger steps and swing bigger as we approach new challenges. For me, personally, I found mentors. Mm. So my first semester was so tough. You know, we already talked about that for a number of different reasons. But my second semester, I was convinced by some people in my life that were like, no, you should drop out. You should just continue with your graduate program, do one more semester and then see what happens. And I was like, (laughs) fine, fine. I guess I can do that. And I'm so glad that I did because that put me in contact with a professor who acted as a mentor for me in those first few months. Her name was Gloria, was, her name is uh, (laughs) Gloria Gonzalez Lopez. And she taught this wonderful feminist theories course, and it was transformative for me. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't transformative because of the content. It was transformative because of her and who she was and validating a lot of the feelings that I had in graduate school. And she allowed me to really acknowledge the fact of like, oh, I'm not crazy for having these feelings of inadequacy. I'm not out of line for feeling as though it's a difficult environment for me. Because what she did is she shared that she had very similar experiences when she was in graduate school. And that oftentimes still, as a graduate advisor and as a you know tenured professor, she still has some of these feelings sometimes. And she allowed me to recognize that it was the hierarchy of power in that particular environment that was making me feel uneasy. I wasn't like everyone else, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. What it meant is that I had something different to offer, something that hadn't been in that room before. But she gave me the confidence to make my own space there. And that was very helpful. As time went on, I ended up finding another mentor as well, who actually ended up being my graduate advisor for my thesis at Summers. She is phenomenal. And she was the very first person I ever talked to who made me feel that my research interests were actually valid. Because so long before that, people were telling me like, oh, you're interested in that. Nobody's going to want to read that. Or, oh, that's what you're interested in doing. Mm, That seems a little bit like a waste of time. Pat was the first one to look at me and go, that's super cool. And I want to be a part of this because you are right. Your interests are important and there's a lot to be discovered there. And it was finding those allies, finding those mentors. And it was the fact that they were able to share their experiences that were very similar to mine, granted in a different time period, in a different environment, but it's still a shared experience. And that was super helpful for me. What about for you? Yeah. I think that's such a good example. I had to think of one different because my first answer as well was, oh, yeah, I had a really great mentor who told me about the time they felt the same way. And so I do want to acknowledge the importance and the like gravity that sharing your failures and sharing that experience can really help others. And so that's, I mean, it's why we're doing this today, right? Yeah. Talking about our failures is so that other people know that this is common and this is not, they're not the only person who has ever failed before. Lord, no. But something that this mentor had me do was to write down everything that proved that I was doing well. So this was actually a different example when I was a student. Um, this was one of my, my advisors. I was the president of a student org and 
I just had a moment at the beginning of the year after our first meeting where I just felt like I didn't deserve to be in that spot. And she looked at me and was just like, no, you have worked so hard to be here. You are the person who deserves to do this. You know what you're doing. And so she had me write down a list of just everything. I'll use crew, but essentially just the things that were you know, noticeable. Like, okay, I got voted unanimously, right? I... It's been so long now, but just all of the things that that really were, I couldn't make up in my head against them. So, okay, yeah, I can't argue that I was in that org for three years. I knew what I was doing, that kind of stuff. So writing that down and and seeing it, I do think physically writing it or typing it, whatever is better for folks, but just having something that you have to read back to yourself to see, you know, written out like, oh, yeah, you can't argue with a list like that. It's much harder, but... I do think that having a friend or a colleague or just someone that you're close to to get out of your own head is is oftentimes how I kind of get over that. Yeah. And that moves us straight into our next question. <laughs> you're, you're doing great at that, well, but I love you. and appreciate it. But what I especially like there is your mentor told you to write down irrefutable facts about yourself that make you feel good. Yep. And that moves into shine theory. Yeah. You're familiar with shine theory. I love shine theory. Wonderful. I love it too. So let's go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about it. Shine theory is this wonderful practice. It was developed by two phenomenal women, Aminatu So and Anne Friedman. And the way I want everybody to think about this is when I'm shine, or sorry, when you shine, I shine. <laughs> It goes both ways. It goes both ways. Absolutely. And there's no harm in mixing it up. But when you shine, I shine. But what does that really mean? It's this idea that by telling other people what we appreciate them for, telling other people what they're good at, telling other people why they make us happy, allows them to recognize that in themselves and then exude those qualities, exude those skills, exude that confidence even more. And then when we see that, we see them over there. We're like, oh, look at Aminatu living her best life. Look <laughs> at her. Look at Anne. She's so confident over there. That inspires confidence in us as well. And that lets us go, if the two of them can do it, and if they're feeling wonderful and powerful and seen and valuable, there's no reason I can't either. So. To do this, I want to think back on a few compliments that you and I have gotten. And I want to challenge our listeners to do the exact same thing. It's kind of fun and it's a feel-good moment. Yes. But what I want us to do is to think back on the most impactful compliment that we have ever gotten. But there's a few caveats to that. I don't want it to be about your looks. I don't want it to be about your appearances or anything like that. It should be about who you are as a person, your skills, your confidence, your competency. Certainly not my pronunciation, okay. <laughs> but things that are intrinsic to who you are as a person. Rachel, do you want to start? Yeah, I would love to. I actually had this happen a couple weeks ago. And there's a this answer changes for me regularly. I think it just matters in the moment what I need the most. But <laughs> I... I had a moment where I was walking to Michael's. I can remember this very specific. Walking to this craft store with mm-hmm. my partner. And I was just telling him, you know, that I felt like I was kind of struggling to, to make time for the friends in my life. Like, you know, I, I hadn't hung out with one of my friends in a while and I felt kind of bad. And 
which is kind of telling him, like, you know, how I wanted to hang out with these folks more and just generally appreciating my friends and what they do for my life. And he very offhandedly just kind of looked at me and, you know, was just kind of like, well, they're really lucky to have you in their life, no matter how long it's for, you know, or how far in between. You just make people's lives better. And very nonchalantly, like, kind of just started moving on to like, oh, yeah, do we need to get this thing? Like, he just said it so offhandedly. Mm -hmm. But it hit something so hard for me because, like, my whole reason that I try in life is to make people's lives a little bit brighter. That, like, slightly positive impact for the people around me, if I can make their life just, like, a shade brighter, right? Mm -hmm. For going with shine theory, if I can make it a little shinier. Yeah, that little bit <laughs> Whatever it is, what I really try to do, you know, especially for the people that I love. And so just to have someone see that so clearly was, it meant so much to I me. Mean, it obviously has still stuck with me months later. Yeah, absolutely. The most impactful compliment I've ever gotten is very similar. Oh, I love it. I know. It's shocking, right? Tell me. Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about the most impactful compliment I've ever gotten, it is just a few very simple words. And I remember one of my great friends was talking to me and they just stopped halfway through the conversation and they just went, Mark, you're a really good friend. Yeah. And it was just that. You're a really good friend. Five simple words. And it hit me to the core. I was just like, ooh, right in the feels, but in the good feels, you know? Because much like you, one of the things I always want to do is to make the people around me more comfortable, to provide space for them, to let them tell their stories, have their experiences, feel their feelings in a way that doesn't make them feel judged, and to let them know that I appreciate them. And that's probably where a vast majority of my effort goes in my everyday life. Of course, there's other things that I do, but making sure that other people feel valuable and safe around me. Mm, chef kiss. That's <laughs> what I want to do. That's what I want to be remembered for. But it wasn't until somebody just looked at me and very flatly just said that, that I actually felt acknowledged for something that I was trying to do. And for our listeners, I want y'all to think of a similar compliment. And it doesn't have to be about being a really good friend or whatever the case may be. It could be about a particular skill. Like, mm -hmm. did a professor tell you? Like, wow, James, you did a phenomenal job writing this paper. I love your perspective. Wonderful. Hang on to that as you write your next paper, as you do your next assignment. Or was it something along the lines of, hey, Susan, you did a really great job with this lab report. And I love that you found this like small intricacy. Hang on to that as you enter your next class because sciences are tough. Mm -hmm. Lord knows I don't know anything. <laughs> but you know... A lot of other people do. And finding those little compliments that make you feel good, that make you feel seen, that make you feel capable are great. But why do we talk about this for combating imposter syndrome? And I think it's so that we can acknowledge the impact that a community has and the impact that other people have had on us and recognizing it so that we can have that impact for others. And that is one of the biggest things that I personally feel a leader can do. That's why we're talking about it with the Texas <laughs> podcast. Yeah. You know? And I would also add that I think that when we can complement each other and recognize the brilliance of one another and stop focusing on comparing ourselves to other people, mm -hmm. I think that does such 
an incredible thing for our mental health and our own imposter syndrome, you know, moments where mm-hmm. instead of saying, well, this person got an A without seeing, you know, the iceberg underneath the tip, right? That's always yep. the thing. Without seeing everything else in this person's life, if you're only comparing yourself to their best, shiniest moments on social media or in class or whatever you're seeing, you're never going to feel good about yourself. But if you can celebrate them in that moment, knowing how hard they worked or not even knowing, but assuming they worked hard to get there and you can celebrate them and celebrate yourself for being right there with them in whatever capacity that is, that's going to be a lot better than feeling bad about the great things you're doing. Yeah, feeling great about the great things that you're doing, mm-hmm. the great things that people around us are doing as well. Exactly. Celebrating everyone's success. Mm-hmm. And I love the way you said that, taking the competition out of it. Because mm-hmm. especially within academia, it's not a competition, but we're all going to have our points of impact. And those are going to be different for everyone. And that's the great thing about it. Yeah. Finding those moments of victory, finding those moments of confidence. And allowing yourself to feel them will allow you the opportunity to highlight those same moments in other people. And that gets us back to shine theory. When you shine, I shine. When I shine, you shine. There's no need to try to dull other people's shine. Because when you put two beautiful shiny stones next to each other, they look even better. And I think that's the biggest thing that I hope our listeners are taking away from this conversation today. So with that, let's go ahead and close out our conversation a little bit. And let's think about maybe an impact moment or a challenge for the future. Yeah. What's a challenge you would like to give our listeners? I think for me, I want to challenge listeners to share their feelings of imposter syndrome or a failure that they're going through with someone close to them. I think just be vulnerable in that moment. Let your, your person support you. I think oftentimes our friends are going to be our biggest fans, right? So maybe if you're going to share a failure, they're going to gas you up. They're going to make you feel great about that moment in the time when you need it most. But it also allows that friend to know that it's okay to mess up too. So my challenge to you is not to keep it to yourself the next time you are feeling this moment of imposter syndrome or if you're going through a failure. Yeah. So your challenge is to be open about your times of difficulty. Yeah. My challenge to the listener is to celebrate somebody else in their moment of victory, in their moment of success. And making this a regular part of your day, you will start to notice that the people around you are feeling a lot more confident. And when that happens, they're going to return the favor. Because we warm fuzzies just to hear you give that. I I love some good warm fuzzies. Mm -hmm. And good warm fuzzies are a great place to end our conversation. (laughs) So with that, I want to thank our listeners. Thank you so much for being here again. Check out some of our other podcasts. We have some wonderful opportunities for learning on there, especially for developing your own leadership style. But I also want to encourage you to check out some of the other Texas leadership education development opportunities that we have in our office. Yeah. Some are in person, some are virtual, some we will even take to your front door. Oh, snap. I know. We have a phenomenal program called Pathways, where you can do a deep dive into conversations just like this one, whether that's about building your confidence or inclusive leadership or the small everyday moments of leadership. We also have a bunch of really phenomenal workshops. We have our summer internship program, (laughs) Coach UT, Project Advance Austin. Oh, yeah. If you're interested in learning about any of these, visit us on our website or stop by our office. We're located in the WCP building on the third floor. Stop by, 
stay high. We'll get you hooked up with some wonderful uh, leadership training opportunities, and we'll be more than happy to help you shine. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Lead Podcast. We are honored to be a part of your leadership journey and look forward to helping you realize your potential as a leader to create positive change. Now get out there and lead.